0: Really loud. That's so loud that it, in my ears, I didn't know what to say to start the podcast.
1: I think I'm just going to start playing that in my car when I'm driving along.
0: Yeah. Well, Jamming out to it. Yeah. Well, now that we botched the introduction, welcome to the Calvary Cast. Are you ready to podcast? That was good. All right, it was good. Episode seventy nine, we are here. It's still really loud in my ears. Should probably do a better job of mixing that before, before we start. Because I'm like so distracted by the music right now. It's gonna get quieter now. That's better. Now I can think.
1: They're listening to the
0: music, right? That whole yeah, time? it's mixed better mm-hmm. when I do it for them. But I just put it on for us and I kind of adjust the volume so we can hear it. I see. Uh, but usually I mix it better than that, and so throws me off. Of my game, it's Wednesday afternoon.
1: It is. All so, our games are thrown off. All our right? games
0: are thrown off. Your Romans two studying game is kind of thrown off. Yes, it is. And uh, my podcast music game is thrown off a little bit.
1: It's going to be a mess. This whole thing's going to be a mess. It's be maybe.
0: Reach drinking. I'm drinking your favorite thing here, Lacroix. Lacroix. I brought this just for you.
1: Is that sparkling water, carbonated <laughs> water? Babine? It is.
0: Which I never noticed. It says on the can, naturally essenced.
1: Yeah, that's gross, man. I do not like sparkling water. Zero
0: sodium. It equals it's innocent. But what are you drinking? Coke Zero. That's disgusting.
1: Coke Zero is awesome. Coke Zero is disgusting. Do you like regular Coke, or do you like no? You don't like pop generally. I don't
0: really drink much soda. I I mean, I like it anymore though. It's actually it's too sweet for me because I just don't drink it very much. Hmm. And zero diet sodas. Absolutely revolting to me.
1: Well, this, so diet soda is one thing. So like Diet Coke. Coke, and Zero, Coke Zero is, is diet different. soda. It is in the category of diet soda, <laughs> but it doesn't taste like Diet Coke.
0: That's because you've just drink, it has you've like, drank it so much. No,
1: this stuff is so popular. It is sometimes hard to get at the store, especially when you get into the flavoring like Cherry Coke Zero. Forget about it. Really? Dr. Pepper Zero almost never in. If I come across it, what is the, it
0: what is it flavored with? Uh, or I mean what's it sweetened with? How's it sweet and zero sugar? It's I aspartame.
1: As, well maybe. Yeah. That's aspartame.
0: diet coke rebranded.
1: Right, but they've got the taste brand. The, the what I'm saying is they took the taste <laughs> of diet soda and perfected made it, better. it. So now it's like drinking regular pop and and it's
0: yet yeah, it's diet, it's zero sugar and zero calories. You just die sooner from drinking that. Probably. I think it's worse for you than regular soda. I don't know. But it makes you feel better about it, though, right? I mean, you the
1: generation gay. of people now that are in their 80s were the generation of the first <laughs> Diet Pepsi and Diet Coke. And That's they were all true. slamming it down <laughs> by the case, <laughs> and they're running around in their 80s and 90s. I think That's we'll true. be all right.
0: But LaCroix makes me feel better than you, though, because I have like, there's just nothing in here except nothing. It's all zero, 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 zero. But I actually don't really care. Right. I just
1: you just it's... like it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Water is really what it is. Right.
1: Well, I always say this is more. This is nothing but carbonated water with some flavorings in it. Because mm-hmm. it has nothing. It's zero. Which seems. I don't. I've never really figured out how that works. But it's zero. Everything. <laughs> how do you? How do you have something that has? How does it con? How is it contained in here, and it has no calories? Right? Isn't that weird to you? Is that is it? Yeah, well, that's a problem. You just try to that figure out like how it's something if it's nothing. You know, I don't know.
0: Wow, that's deep. That was deep. So anyway, uh, episode seventy nine, we went on our excursus about our drinks. There, it's kind of funny actually. I don't know why we do that, but
1: well, that's very natural because we hadn't planned that. It was just it is exactly, what are you drinking? What are you drinking? Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, we haven't done a drinking thing on our. That sounded weird. Yeah, on our podcast. You
1: mean like one where we sit here and drink and get drunk or something on the podcast?
0: No, that I was just talking about drinking something oh, on the podcast. I thought that was
1: what you said you wanted to do one time, is
0: to, for everybody to see,
1: <laughs> and then it would be like out of Ephesians six, do not get drunk with wine. This is debauchery. <laughs>
0: no, that wasn't what I I was going to say since that time that I made coffee on the podcast. And that was the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I haven't really done anything like that. So anyway, now that we have spent almost five minutes on that, we can get on to the subject of the day, which is the
1: book of Job, or as my sister-in-law once referred to it, the book of Job. Yeah. Because she was not a Christian. And well,
0: anyway. I asked that on Sunday night, why we don't say Job. What'd they say? No, no answers. Crickets. Oh, Uh, so yeah. Oh, you were just saying. I just brought. I thought I, there
1: was an answer to that. I had never heard. No, I do Some don't. kind of pronunciation. Oh, Hebrew yeah.
0: pronunciation. There probably is. I just don't know what it is. I, it's more specifically than the book of Job, it's applying the book of Job. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do
1: good because you've been teaching the book of Job just finished, or just one just one, one week, night right? on,
0: uh, on Sunday night went through it and uh, I spent I, I I talked for a long time and I still didn't get through. Everything. <laughs> I didn't get to the application of it. So I thought, hey, this would make a nice podcast.
1: Right. Good. So that, and so pretty, now you're going to bring more application to what right, you talked about. Right. Yeah. So,
0: and I think it's fitting, Yeah, you know, and I, I mentioned this on, on Sunday night as well. Like we're the season in our church where there's just a lot of people that are suffering in a number of ways. And so I don't want to say anything that's unhelpful or hurtful or, mm-hmm. you know, in doing that, but the scripture speaks to these things. Mm-hmm. And especially the book of Job is really helpful. So I think there, that, that, uh, the the lessons that we need to learn the things that we can apply from the study of the book of Job are really applicable to those in suffering especially yep. in our our season as a church right now
1: and if you're like us who me and you let's say we're not in a terrible time of suffering no. right now ourselves right? right and but like i was thinking about this the other day largely our christian walk is preparing for the next suffering, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So even if somebody isn't in suffering right now, to hear these things in advance. Right. And then if you're in suffering, to be reminded of what you already know. And that is important because it's hard to, like, catch up while you're suffering. Yeah. It's important to know what God's Word says about suffering prior to suffering.
0: Right. We want to be armed for that battle. And I think, too, then there's also a lot of application in the book of Job for those who are going to help suffering people, which is everybody, you know. Right. We're We're all called to help those who are suffering we're going to have friends and members of our church that are suffering and you're going to be giving them counsel and so we need to to consider what that is Um, so some of this I don't I don't think too much of this will be a review for people that were there on Sunday night but just to kind of set the stage again the book of Job is a dialogue um, between Job and primarily three of his friends and then a fourth voice comes in at the end Elihu
1: with friends like that huh
0: yeah good good friends wait who
1: needs enemies Oh. I'm getting ahead of us now. Ahead of ourselves. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I missed the, the...
1: Job's friends, right? Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the book of Job is giving us insight into uh, how suffering comes into Job's life. And then all of the questions that Job is asking and his friends are asking are, why is this suffering happening? And they all have different reasons as to why it is happening in Job's life and of course the the in the first two chapters are fascinating theologically just to think about how god allows evil yet is not the originator of it uh how he how satan is limited in what he can do and and so different things like that um and 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 then also the book of job is wisdom literature and wisdom literature is uh designed to help us master the world right so if you think about god has created the world in such a way that that uh, it functions in a certain way, and we can live in it within the parameters that he has provided. So, as wisdom literature, Job is helping us kind of master living in a fallen world where we're suffering and hurting. And so that's that's how it's it's helpful as as wis- wisdom literature. Um, so, Job's friends come along, and their essential argument—the first three friends—is is that you have sinned, therefore you're suffering. And so. I called it on Sunday night, retribution theology, right? So they use uh, things as you've planted a seed. And so you've grown this suffering. You planted a seed of sin. You're reaping the harvest of of suffering. Uh, They use things like cause and effect to prove their point. I see this happen in the world and this happens. Therefore uh, that's how I've come to the conclusion that you're suffering because of your sin. And then throughout the entire book, Job is always responding. So a friend uh, will speak and then Job responds and Job's, uh, his assertion throughout the whole book is that he has not sinned, right? He is upright. And even the beginning of the book tells us he's an upright, blameless man. That's why Satan comes and the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job a blameless and upright man? And so Job is upright. So he's he's kind of thinking the same way that his friends are. I haven't sinned in any way. So why is this suffering befallen me? And so he, throughout the book, he wants to question the Lord. He wants to go before the Lord and arbitrate his case, uh, and ultimately, he comes to the realization that he actually has an arbitrator, one in heaven, who's mediating on his behalf, and he knows that he will be vindicated one day. Well, towards the end of the book, in comes the final voice, which is Elihu. And Elihu really rebukes Job and his three friends and says, you've all got it wrong, which they kind of have. Um, and Elihu is really pointing all of them to the greatness and majesty of God and saying, God is right to do as he pleases, there's, there's no wrong in him. And then, starting in chapter 38, the Lord speaks. And when the Lord speaks, there's no, uh, he just silences everyone else's opinions. And, and he doesn't answer all of Job's questions. Rather, he just points to himself, and he points to uh, creation, essentially, and says, do you understand how these things work, Job? If so, then, then you know, you've you figured out, but he can't. And Job is left there to just sit in silence and even uses, if if you're familiar with the book of Job, you know, at the end of the uh, chapter 40 and 41, I believe it is, where he's talking about behemoth and Leviathan, the two greatest, fiercest, created, created creatures. He says, you can't even control these things. How are you going to contend with me? Right? So that's kind of where where the book of Job ends. And so then Job when he, he comes face-to-face with the revelation of God, with comes face-to-face with God himself, he's just left in silence and realizes, okay, I, I've learned what I need to. I've learned who God is, and that's the most important thing. So here are a couple of applications, I think, that we should take from the book of Job. The first one would be this, the reality of the righteous sufferer. All right, and this is uh, maybe the most the, the the preeminent point, I guess, if we could say one in this book, uh, Job is not suffering for his sin. It's just the Lord allows suffering in the lives of the righteous people, of righteous people. And, of course, in Job's friends' minds, this just cannot happen. You know, you only suffer for sin. And even in Jesus's day, uh, the disciples, right? I think it's in John 5, they ask this question. They see the man born blind, and who sinned? This man or his parents that caused him to be born blind? Uh, so there is there is this, this common idea uh, that we suffer primarily for the wrongs we do. And sometimes that's true. I mean, there are consequences for sin, and we suffer in that way. But the Lord sometimes just allows suffering and hardship and pain in the lives of righteous people for his purposes. He's going to accomplish his good purposes through that suffering. And the New Testament is clear about this as well. So Job helps us understand, especially in, in the Old Testament context, the reality of the righteous sufferer.
1: Now, do you get to that all pointing to Christ as the righteous sufferer?
0: Uh, yes, you could.
1: Yeah, because I was thinking, um, that's prepping you. Right. That Job is prepping you for the gospel, in a sense. Yeah. In that the righteous can suffer or right. do suffer. And obviously, Jesus being the righteous, perfectly sufferer. righteous yeah. one, suffering. Yep. So anyway, yeah. And you're right about that in John five because they're thinking, "Who sinned?" That's right. that retributive right. uh, yes. suffering. Yes. Right. Yep. And so, who sinned this man or that? So when they looked at, if the Jews looked at Christ, they would automatically apply the curse of the cross to, yeah, to Jesus being a sinner or yeah. a wrongdoer. Mm.
0: And, and, well, and it's interesting too, right, in John 5 when Jesus says, it's not that this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, mm. right? So right there is an application of suffering. And and we're not given—the uh, the answer is that the works of God are displayed through this man's suffering, mm-hmm. right? So even in your suffering, the works of God will be displayed in it. That's the point, or a point. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? So so first of all, the reality of the righteous suffer. The second thing that stands out to me, and this is probably more of an observation— and a bit of an application, but the ease and simplicity of Job's friends' counsel. If you read through the book, read through it in one sitting, uh, these guys aren't really saying anything profound. It's really kind of obvious and trite and simple counsel, and they don't ever move past these basic, you must have done something there, therefore you're receiving your just reward. And, And that, I think that people can tend to do that even now, right? In our council, we're just very simplistic, you know? And uh, even even in applying scripture to someone's suffering, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Romans 8, you know, all things work together for those. Yeah, you yeah. Know, all things work together for good for those who trust him. And that is true, mm-hmm. but the way that we can apply it can be very simplistic and reductionistic with suffering mm-hmm. and the complexities of it. Yeah,
1: And uh, so, yeah, oversimplistic or in, an insensitive. Yes. His friends clearly come across as right. insensitive. Right. And, uh, and not giving time to think through and process what's happening.
0: That, and then also their predetermination, right? They're right. just, they have come, they've they've listened, but they have really probably come with their own agenda. Mm-hmm. And so they're not actually listening well. Right. So the, the second thing then would be that, the ease and simplicity of Job's friends' counsel and just the, the danger. Beware of that, like. Be slow to listen, or quick to listen. Slow to speak. Third, the complexity of suffering. Um, the The responses of Job. You, you know, he starts in chapter three, and he's saying, "I lament the day that I was born. I'd rather be a stillborn child than walk through this stuff that I'm doing." And he says there too that you know everything he fears has come upon him. Um, and so, the fact that he feels this immense pain, the fact that we know that God has allowed it simply to allow it to display his good purposes, Um, I think that shows there's a complexity to suffering. There's a number of things that are involved and going on. And so again, we can't be like simplistic in our responses um, to it. I think job's friends and their simple counsel this is why he calls and he says, miserable comforters are you all right? mm-hmm. you know number of times you know and he'll say things like you know if the shoe is on the other foot, I could sit here and do what you're doing right, right this right. is this is not not hard to uh, to offer your kind of counsel um, but just understanding that there's a complexity in suffering, a number of things are going on um, I was and I, and I was asking and I'll ask you this question, what is it that makes suffering complex? And a couple of things that come to my mind, uh, the feelings of isolation, mm-hmm. right? You know, like nobody else is walking through the same thing with me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there could sometimes be a wrong feeling of shame mm. that could be brought in suffering. You're feeling shame for something you shouldn't feel shame for. Um, there's that combination of physical suffering with the mental and emotional toll. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you see that with Job for sure. I mean, he's sitting there scraping the boils with, with pots, and it's an it's an emotional, emotional and mental toll mm-hmm. that's being taken as well. Um, sin can exacerbate our suffering, right? So we can respond wrongly to suffering, and sin in it, mm-hmm. and that can make it more complex. Uh, and pride, we can demonstrate... A, Different sorts of pride, I think, even when we suffer yeah. to a degree as well. Any thoughts on why suffering can be complex?
1: Not, n- not necessarily anything in addition to what you've said. I mean, I think that's all it. It's just, um, and the you know the physical suffering itself really wreaks havoc on the emotions. I yes. think, and those get confused oftentimes mm-hmm. with the, sp- the with the relationship with God, and so I think all of that just it's, that's what makes it so challenging, you know, such a difficult thing.
0: So Job then is showing us there's a complexity to it. We can't be simplistic in how we deal with it or how we evaluate other people's suffering and and recognize there's just a lot of things that are going on in it. Um, The next thing that stood out to me comes from Job 38, where the Lord speaks to Job and he says... um, he answers him out of the whirlwind this is the first thing he says he says who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge dress for action like a man i will question you and you make it known to me and there the lord is is basically saying to job with your questions and the way that you have um, presumed this is what is going on right you have darkened my wisdom right so he's you've cast a shadow upon my wisdom and my working and so there is a way that we could respond to suffering like Job, where we are um drawing improper conclusions that are casting a shadow on the wisdom of God, hmm. right, so this is happening for this reason or should not be happening for this reason uh things like that where we just we don't know and and we can in a sense impugn the The wisdom of God to allow this in our lives uh, by doing that, mm-hmm. and so I think there the Lord He's He's rebuking Job for that, and later on Job in chapter forty two he's going to say, "I have done this." Well, he says it in chapter forty, and then he says it also in chapter forty two where he quotes back what the Lord has said, and and he's like, "I'm going to be silent. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. I've learned my lesson. I this is not my place. Uh, the wisdom of God is too great." Um. The fifth thing that I would would put in here is that bad theology leads to bad counsel, and wisdom is needed to apply good theology. So if you're reading Job's friends, we've already talked about their argument, and their retribution theology is unbiblical, right? That's not how, how God works. And so because they don't have a right understanding of who God is, they're giving bad counsel. And then it struck me that you can also have the right knowledge of God and not the wisdom to apply it, Hmm. you know? I think that sometimes when people, and maybe this is a little tangent for a second, but people make um, charges or accusations about biblical counseling being unhelpful or hurtful or harmful, and that could be, but it's not because the the Bible is wrong. It's because the wisdom of the counselor. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is there is something that we all need to, to learn, like we, we may have a knowledge of the scripture, but we need to have the wisdom to rightly apply it there is a, a heart demeanor there is the, uh, the skillful application of the word of God uh, the timeliness when you say things, when you don't say things all of that is wisdom mm-hmm. so it's not enough just to know facts or truths but you need the wisdom to, to apply those things as well uh, finally, last thing I'd add is that the goal of suffering is God himself. Um, when you get to the end of, of the book of Job, there, all of his questions are not answered, uh, but he comes face to face with who God is. Um, there, are, Job does, he makes a lot of statements. It, I think it's in chapter 31 where he says, if I had done this, if I had done this. Um, and the Lord doesn't respond to those things. He doesn't respond to his other questions, but he just reveals to himself. And so I think if if we think about this in relationship to suffering, if we're suffering and your goal is to have all your questions answered as to why this is happening, you're going to come away disappointed and frustrated because there's a mystery to the workings of God. And And so whether that is, you know, You're you're asking why this has come upon you. You're just not necessarily going to know. But what Job is led to see is God is great. God is wise. He is sovereign. He has allowed this, and I know Him better now. Then that's the end, right? Mm -hmm. That's then then it has succeeded in its purposes. Mm -hmm. You know, is that you know God better. Um, Jason Derucci, he made this statement. He's a he's a scholar. And he said, we suffer to display the surpassing worth of God who holds our trust and remains our treasure, even amidst the greatest trials. Right? So, so there is the end goal of all suffering should be, I know God better. I'm trusting him more. I am uh, being conformed more to the image of Christ as I walk through this, this, uh, this suffering. At Job 42, the end of the, the book um it's interesting how he responds to the Lord's uh, revelation. He says, he answers the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So they're like, you know, he understands that that he can't uh, fully understand or comprehend the purposes of God and that the Lord's purposes won't be stopped. And then he, he quotes what the Lord is saying about him. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? So that's the statement from chapter 38. And then Job responds, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. So he's saying, uh, my conclusions have been wrong. right? I didn't, I, they're wrong. And then in verse 4 of chapter 42, he again quotes the Lord. When the Lord said to him, Hear and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. And then Job's response to the Lord's revelation there is, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So Job is satisfied, not because his questions are answered, but because he knows the Lord better. Good. The other, uh, one other passage, I guess, that I just draw us to in the New Testament to close. Mm-hmm. Okay. Philippians chapter three, Paul writes, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So notice that phrase, that word loss, right? Indeed, I count everything as loss. For I have, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So the goal of loss, the goal of suffering, is to gain Christ. Well, we hope this conversation has been helpful, especially for those who are suffering, which is which is everyone, or preparing us for whatever suffering we have, uh, the Lord may have in the future at Calvary. We love to, at the Calvary cast, we love to hear from our listeners. So you can always email us at thecalvarycast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you're part of our church, just come up and talk to us, send us a text, give us a phone call. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the great commission. So until next time.